Leviticus 17 through 22. Welcome back to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I am joined here in the office with the other host that you know the most, and that is, of course, Pastor Dave Ruda. Dave, say hello. Hello. On the way here today, I stopped at the gas station and I was using the facilities and I saw a sign that says employees must wash hands. So I stood there and I waited and I waited. And I waited, and nobody came. And so eventually I just washed my hands myself. (laughs) And there you go, guys. Uh, We are starting off the day right with a a conversation on dad jokes. I'm sure we're going to have a couple more dad jokes coming through. Um, As you gather here today, um, hopefully your day is going well. Our day is splendid because we have an opportunity to continue our conversation with a discussion on holiness coming back to the book of Leviticus. Our goal here is and was to finish up the book of Leviticus a little bit before the beginning of um, the Lenten season. But uh, with things that have gone on, not only with my life, your life, church life, um, we were put back about a week or so. And so we will be wrapping up our discussion on the book of Leviticus uh, next week. Um, but we're going to continue to truck along and we have some really good things coming up after this. Um, we might take uh, a little bit of uh, a time away, um, not not giving you content, but maybe not having something so structured um, during the season of Lent. Yeah, we I have something prepared for the Lord's Prayer, so we'll be walking through the Lord's Prayer. They'll be a little bit shorter than what you're used to, maybe a half an hour or so, but uh, just some things I had done before in a radio program in, in Pierce, South Dakota, so we're recycling that information, uh, recycling those uh, radio programs and using it for your use as well. Awesome. And so what we will do is we will encourage you to tune into our congregations during the season of Lent if you are so desperate to hear our voice. Uh, We'll be more than happy to talk to you then. But let's get into our topic at hand. I'm going to hand it off to you, Dave, for our disclaimer. Yes, uh, dear listener, we are going through the book of Leviticus. We are uh, sharing with you God's word. But uh, especially today, even with some of the topics that we talk about, might seem like we are um, being calloused. But we're not. We are really uh, looking at this and from God's perspective as he is uh, sharing it with God's people in the Old Testament. But if there is something that just you just get too uncomfortable because, let's face it, Leviticus 17 to 22 that we're talk- talking about today has a lot of sensitive topics. So if something offends you, we encourage you to uh, listen to something else or you can even talk to us and, and uh, let us know. We're always uh, works in progress. Some of us have to work a lot more than others, but we are always welcome your input. And so you can talk to us in person. Most of our feedback we get is from people in person. And uh, we are, appreciate that. Also, you can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. And you can also look on our Facebook as well. All right. Well, let's dive on into our topic at hand.
if anyone is looking at the book of Leviticus or looking at the Old Testament worship practices, you cannot get away from the image of blood. There's blood everywhere. Well, I mean, the Old Testament itself has a lot of blood, a lot of battles, a lot of things going on. Um, and, and just the idea of, and I think you were referring mostly to sacrifices, right? The yes. sacramental system that was put into there. So, Yeah, we were covering all those sacrifices in our Bible class this past week. And uh, just the idea of, okay, with all of these sa- sacrifices, which sacrifices are sprinkled on the altar? Which ones are that the blood smeared on the altar? Uh, all of the practices just reemphasize the fact that there's just a lot of blood going around all over the place at the temple or at the tabernacle. Well, and and I think we have in, in chapter 17, we have a reason why, right? Um, near the end of, of chapter 17, you have um, the Lord now giving us this, this idea of why blood is so important. And it really has its centering on, for the life of all flesh is its blood. It is life. Therefore, I have said to the Israelites, you shall not eat the blood from any flesh for the life of all flesh is its blood. And so you have here this, this, this really idea that, that because life is contained with the movement of the blood in the body, right? Life is contained with this idea that, that, um, something is, is, is there, um, blood is movement. It is, it is keeping the body alive. The Lord says you can't you can't ingest that. You can't take that and misuse that, um, no matter what life it is. Not just the life of a person, but a life of an animal. A li- it doesn't matter. Um, that it, That is a special thing. Yeah. Normally today when we want to see if somebody is alive, we often say, well, if they have a heartbeat, if the heart, if there's blood movement, then we know if somebody is alive. In the Old Testament, the worldview that God was giving to his people was blood equals life. And so we respect that blood and not... Uh, treat it as something that you can ingest or take or or the pagan, like you were mentioning before the podcast of the pagans around the area were using blood in a different way. And how are they using blood in a different way, Will? Well, I mean, this is, and this is where I think chapter 17 really is focusing. Um, it wasn't, uh, first of all, I'll answer your question. The The pagans were using the blood of of animals and things um, for religious reasons. And, and their, their total belief was um, you have a strong animal or a strong, even in sometimes, in some cases, even people, they would ingest those bodily fluids. And, and we're going to get to it in a later time. It wasn't always just blood <laughs> that they were ingesting. Um, but they, the idea was, if I bring that into myself, I gain that strength. I gain that kind of ability. Um, Native American cultures, a little bit separate, but in our, in our area of the world, Native American cultures used to eat the heart usually the still beating heart of an animal because they would take on that um, that strength of that animal. And they, they felt that that to be a very big honor that they would be able to do that and, and as a warrior to another warrior take that on. Um, and the Lord is saying here in 17, that's not how this works. Um, that that it, is not, it is not the giving of something's life that gives you strength. It is the person who who stands above it all, who gives strength and uses this. And so what we have here, and, and I think we have to be really, really careful. Some people in commentaries that I've been reading were saying that Leviticus 17 um, almost hedges on this sanctity of all living things and that, okay, um, God's going back to to the, the Garden of Eden and saying, really, I never intended for animals to, to die. And I really never... 
I don't see that. I, I really see that this is a prohibition of following religious practices that aren't healthy for you. That 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 is so easily you have these the the people of Israel being led astray to these religious practices of these other nations where they're misusing God's gifts in an inappropriate way. Yeah, and God is using blood in a different way than the societies around them. He was using blood. Blood meant life, which meant which was communicating to God's people that if you sinned, if you uh, had guilt, if you had violated something in unintentionally violated um because he's assuming that god's people aren't going to intend to do all any of these things but on un, um, unintentionally uh sinning against god that life needs to be shed for that uh, life needs to be given there's got to be a sacrifice somebody's life has to die and he's communicating that to god's people in the old testament because it's a silhouette of what's happening what's going to happen in the future when the messiah gives his life gives his blood uh, for the sins of the entire world, for all of all of, of humankind, so we talk about blood a lot in worship services in the New Testament because of all of these um, communications that God is giving to God's people throughout time. But I think I think it even goes deeper than that. Yes, I, and and I and please go deeper. I think the the, the where this goes, and and this is how my mind tracks. You know. God never God intended for for animals to be for our purpose. And there was an intent of that. Right? So so there's this there's this joy of being able to manage what God has given to us and there's a joy of being able to use what God has given to us. But we have in 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 Genesis when man falls, the first animals being killed not for the purpose of enjoyment of what God has God has given to us, but the for the purpose of covering our wrong. And from then on, you have this, this established process that the Lord, instead of punishing his, his crown of creation like we deserve, he uses the other things in creation that, that were meant for us and for our benefit and for our enjoyment now are going to be used to cover the things that we have messed up. And what happens when you have this mixture with these other cultures and these other practices is they're taking they're taking this thing and they're saying, I gain my I'm gaining benefit from these. And, and the Lord is saying, No, you lost that benefit because you fell into sin. And now now they are needed to this beautiful thing that I had given to you that you were to manage and you were to use appropriately now has to be used to cover you because you are a, a sinner. And, and this is this is one of those things where where we where I look at it and I think to myself, you know, how horrible it is that that God's people needed to have this this warning. Um, how horrible it is that God's people needed to have um, this type of of um thing going on in their life where where essentially they they essentially lose track of the purpose of the sacramental uh, process they lose purpose of what it is that um the Lord had for them and the Lord gave to them and the Lord intended 
for them. And, and so we have that progression. So, um, and, and you get a highlight of this in, in Leviticus 17, verse 5, where it says, this is so that the Israelites will bring the sacrifices they have been offering in the open country to the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting to the priests. Um, notice in, in verse 7, it picks up then, so that they no longer offer their sacrifices to the great de- or the goat demons to which they had been prostrating themselves. They shall be a permanent regulation for them throughout their generation. Um, and so you have this idea um, that's, me- that's going around in here that, that these the sacrifices and this blood use um, and, the, and, and drinking this blood was not in a normal use. Okay, we're going to eat the goat. Um, but this was in the sense of they were out in the wilderness. They were doing pagan practices and religious practices. And the Lord says, no, if you're going to sacrifice, you're going to bring it to where it's going to be for your benefit, how I have dictated, um, because you are a holy people. And this is what I have desired for you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to step out. Uh, my, my kids had called me about uh, rides and things after school. So did you cover the fact that uh, Jesus's blood covers us? Um, you had sort of brought that up. Um, I did not cover that, but let's talk about it because I, I think it's important that that not only does Jesus' blood cover us, um, but how does this regulation play into um, the Lord and on um, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, and gave it, saying, take and eat, took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to them, saying, take and drink, this is my blood. Yeah, I... Um when I had brought up before about how the uh, sacrifice, you know, Jesus has to shed his blood. I like how the Bible has a, has that multifaceted. You're not just looking at blood being shed, life giving, uh, someone giving up their life, someone has to die, but also this blood also covers uh, us over just as the, the, the uh, skins covered Adam and Eve, just as the, the blood that is covering the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, in the most holy place of the tabernacle in the most holy place of the temple, how, this is covering up so that God looks at us and doesn't see us, but sees the blood of a perfect sacrifice. Well, the the sacrifices in the Old Testament were just a precursor, a silhouette of the real sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then Jesus says, here, have this in a very personal way uh, in Holy Communion. What, a, what an awesome picture that is, that we are not ingesting blood, as you were talking about with the, the heathen practices, of uh, this is um, the heathen practices saying we, we, we get this from from our in, in uh, taking the, this blood in, but this idea of covering over that this covenant that God has given to us is a covenant where God looks at us and doesn't see our sin, but instead sees Jesus who gave himself as a sacrifice and who also is the perfection that uh, God demands in order for anyone to go into heaven. So the, the Lord's Supper is giving us the wonderful things such as forgiveness of sins. And wherever there is forgiveness of sins, there is life. There is eternal life and salvation. So I'm just thinking this through, and, 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 and I don't know how far down the rabbit hole I really want to go on this because I haven't really had a time to think it through. But I'm just thinking this through. You know, the pagan practices were always, um, um, I am going to steal the blood of something else and I, I will force it to become a part of me and it will be, it'll add to my strength. Um, and, and the Lord is condemning this and, and condemns this rightfully. But then you have this, and I was just thinking about it while you're talking, cause, cause yes, we have the, the blood of Christ that covers us, but, but we also have this beautiful interchange where, where Christ gives his blood for me to 
to eat and to, or for his body for me to eat and his blood for me to drink. And, and I was just thinking, and, and like I said, I, this is just top of my head thoughts. Throughout all of these pagan cultures, you know, they would, they would defeat their enemy and then they thought they got stronger from the ones they defeated. Whereas, the, and the Lord says, no, because anybody who is truly strong, they never would have been able to defeat, right? And we gain our strength as Christians from the one who is undefeatable. And he gives it to us freely. And he strengthens us through it freely. It's just kind of an interesting, you know, we, we live in this society where we go, we kill, we think that we take in. Well, if they were so strong, how could we have killed them? And and then you have Jesus who, who no one could take his life unless he gave it up. No one could take it from him unless he freely gives it. And he does to you. He gives it to you for your strength. And like I said, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, but I just, I was thinking that's kind of neat. It is kind of neat. As long as we understand that it's not God taking a pagan practice and saying, here's my spin on it. This is God saying from the beginning, saying this is something different. You are to be something different. So which came first, the pagan practices where they ingested the blood or Christ giving of himself. And we would say, well, Christ giving up of himself is where that uh, came, that came first. God making sure that a seed of a woman was going to be, was going to be born that was going to crush the serpent's head. And, but yet, but yet he would have to give his life. He would have to somehow, he would have to sacrifice his heel would, would be crushed in a little bit. But because of that, then you'll you'll be back on my side, Adam and Eve. You'll be back on my side, and you'll now be enemies of, of Satan again because you weren't before when you fell into sin. You were, you switched sides, um, and you became my enemy just as Satan is my enemy. So, I I, I think I, I like what you're saying. It's just as long as we yeah. we preface it by saying we're not saying that God saw what the pagan practices was and, and put his own spin on it. It's this is always starts with God. Well and I would agree it always starts with God, but but I would definitely say that that every pagan practice that you have, every pagan religious practice is a mutilation of the true religious practice that God has called us to for worshiping him. They've taken it and they've mutilated it and they have manipulated it and they have destroyed it. So it, it doesn't flow it doesn't flow from us in our imagination to I mean I, I know a lot of religious culture or a lot of um, uh, sociologists will say that religion is made by man and then it and then it, then we apply it to a god that we make up and that's not what we see what we see is we have God who has established um, he he has said this is how you worship me this is I do I do everything for you and your response is. Here, I'll help you as a sinful person because you really don't know. And then we take it and we've messed it up. And we said, well, if it applied there, I'm just going to reapply it to my own made up gods. But it's the same. It's the same practices. Um, you know, you have you when you when you go through the book of Leviticus and we've seen it over and over and over and over and over again, that many of the practices were the were the same. And you're like, wait a second. But the pagans were doing this, but they weren't. It wasn't as if they weren't offering sacrifice or, or things like that. But what they were offering was was a mutilated grotesque, horrible rendition to false um, gods that did nothing. And what were the people of Israel called to? They were called to do something sacramental, 
where their God from all creation said, I will work through this for your benefit. And, and you're not to mutilate and you're not to, to, dis, to, to denigrate and you're not to bring down. You got to realize this animal, and let's go back to the case of the blood, this animal's life was for your benefit, but now it has to be repurposed to cover your sin. And that's something that you shouldn't take very lightly. I absolutely agree. Can I have one more point before we move on to chapter 18? Sure. The one, uh, one more point that I wanted to talk about in chapter 17 was the place of where you were supposed to do the sacrifice. And I found it fascinating how uh, before, before Mount Sinai, uh, God's people could sacrifice wherever they wanted. God didn't say to Cain and Abel, they got to do your sacrifice here. Or he doesn't say to Noah when he gets off the ark, Noah, no, you can't do it there. You have to move it over you know, 20 miles or 50 miles or whatever. Um, or Abraham making sacrifices, making, uh, well, there's only one time where God said, this is where I want you to do it, Mount Moriah, but along the way. But now God uh, says to God's people, there's only one place you're going to make these sacrifices and that is outside of the of the tabernacle, and that was to me uh, the insight I got from that was just the whole idea of keeping God's people together. If we had all of these sacrifices all over Israel or all over all of these tents, imagine all the variants uh, that there would be. I think there's some wisdom that I can see in God saying, "Just do it all in one place, just so that you can all keep yourselves together. You can all." Uh, make sure that you are doing it the correct way. Make sure that you are um, also receiving the wonderful gifts of forgiveness of sins uh, through these sacrifices, even though they are a silhouette of, of the Christ. But just the idea of you are a community that gathers in this one place, and this is where you receive the wonderful gifts, um, and how that carries over in the New Testament, where, yes, we can worship wherever we want, but there is value to say having here is a spot where God's people get together to keep ourselves, to keep one another in the true faith until life everlasting, to, to encourage one another, to correct one another, to be in a, a, a place together so that this community that God has established through the power of the Holy Spirit working through the means of grace would be kept uh, as that community until uh, they arrive in heaven. Would it be a bad thing to... And, and 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 I like what you're where you're going with this. Would it be a bad thing to to say, you know, when you go back into the to the Old Testament, and you go back to Genesis, Exodus, um, mostly Genesis, that core of the people that you mentioned, that 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 was the God's chosen people, and 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 it was the family unit, and and I mean we see Abraham offering sacrifices, and and you almost get this impression he's about the only person who's a true believer. Um, and, and Noah, he is the only person left, um, you know, and, and as you go to Isaac, you know, you know, he's, he's the only person there. Eventually Jacob, you know, you have the establishment of God's people. Is it, is it a far-fetched thing to say that this is just the Lord expanding that order of these are my chosen people. These are the people that that before you only had seventy people in your family. It was really easy to we offer a sacrifice in this place, right? Um, but now, now you are a people uh, so mighty and so vast, and and so easily can, like you said, your practice can be misused. 
Um, and so since our God is a God of order, not of chaos, he establishes the best for his people. And the best for his people is you do this in this place under, under these guidelines for your benefit so that you, and even then they lost it. I mean, even then they, they lost focus of what it really meant. But, but it's interesting to think about that, that, that the idea of order, right? And, the, and for good order, God says, I'm going to establish these things. Um, just like he establishes the church. Can anybody baptize, any Christian baptize? Absolutely they can. Well, why don't they? Because for good order, they have the, the pastor do it. Um, could any one of your elders called by the congregation um, give communion? Sure they could. Why don't they? Because for good order, they've called the pastor to do that, right? Um, just that idea of we have a God of order. 18. 18. Bestiality. <sighs> Sex. You just really wanted to say bestiality. I. It's like the only time. Well, I will never actually say bestiality. Outside of, <laughs> just, a, just, a, just reading this chapter just made my blood crawl. But then, as right before this, your sir, blood crawls. My, or you mean your skin crawl? My skin crawl. There we go. <laughs> uh, and uh, if your blood's crawling, like, that's probably <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> uh, just as we were trying to spell the word correctly before we began the the podcast, so I just googled it, and of course, I mean, you get like five different uh, sites that you're like, what in the do people actually do this? And yes, they still do this. People are still sinful. People have a sinful nature. They're taking God's wonderful gift of sex and distorting it into these weird uh, angles. And and it should not surprise us if you are thinking to yourself, what is the world coming to? And it's never been this bad. Well, go back to Leviticus and read through this, and this it'll just it'll turn your stomach. But at the same time, you'll realize just how um, depraved. Humankind is so so, and and they, humankind is extremely depraved, and um, I'm I'm just gonna say this: the Lord the the Lord gives us an insight into these sexual sins, and He calls them what they are: religious practices, and 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 it is amazing because even today the idea of sex is an uh, they almost describe it as a religious experience the the euphoria that comes from that type of behavior. And, and I think you... you, yeah, you Dan ha- Brown loved that in his books, uh, um, The Da Vinci Code. You know, that I remember, did you remember going through that with your, your members where at the first they were scared. They're like, what is this? You know, what, is there something that's been hidden from us from all these years? And then you get to the, the part in The Da Vinci Code where he talks about, well, sex is the way for spiritual enlightenment or religious enlightenment. And then, the, then God's people just said, okay, now we know what this is all about. We, I mean, we thought we were a little bit intimidated by... Uh, his uh, in, intelligence or his, his knowledge or, and whatnot. But then you get to that point and you go, okay, all right, this is still the same, same sin repackaged in different packaging. Right. But, but that, but, but sexual sin, even it is very much a religious movement. Um, it's, it's um, most of your cults that rise have a sexual center to it. Um, uh, your, your Satanist cults also have sexual, you know, some sense of it to it. Um, the, the fact that, that, um, people fight for their sexuality and for their, uh, desire to express their sexuality the way that they want, they fight for it almost as vehemently as somebody who would be a zealot, right? 
for someone who would be a zealot in in church or a zealot in in their focus of religion, um, they fight for that type of thing. And and so in the very beginning of eighteen, you have the very words of of God that say, "Don't be like the people in the land of Egypt. Don't be like the people in the land of Canaan. Don't follow their religious practices." And then he flips it around and he says, but if you follow my practice, right, you follow what I'm telling you, you keep my regulations um, by walking in them. In other words, I've established them for you. You just continue to walk with my strength in them. He then says, of course, the words that we know um, from, from the study of the law, which is anyone who does them will have life. So if you live perfectly in the law, you have life. Well, we all know we can't do that. And we're going to see some of these gross sexual things and we're going to say, um, yeah, those are horrible. But realize this is just a small smattering of a bunch of other gross sexual things that maybe some of us do do or worse. I do like how he starts. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Keep my regulations and my just uh, we were both both out of. Both Will and I had different gospel sections, different gospel nuggets in our preparation for the show today. And that that was a reminder to me of of what you have said since since the beginning of the book of Leviticus is that this is God's people are in a new relationship with him, that he has called them out of this world and says, you're now my people. I am your God now. Stay, <laughs> you know, stay, stay, <laughs> sit, boo boo, sit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, the power to keep all of these commandments is given in the the word of God, which He is giving to them. Like this is, I am the Lord your God. Here's a here's a means by which you do these things. It's not like God is saying to God's people in the Old Testament, "Good luck with all of this." It, he is He is equipping them to do what He is calling them to do. Wouldn't, well, and maybe I got the quote a little bit uh, misparaphrased, but isn't it uh, St. Augustine who says that uh, um, God commands what he gives and gives what he commands in a, in a brief uh, way of saying it? I look it up on Google, but I'm, I've been traumatized by Google this morning. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's the idea, though, that, that, that in the gospel, right, yes, we do have commands. Yes, the law still exists and the law still pricks the, the, the sinful heart. Um, and, and destroys it, but the gospel empowers us to, and, and this was this was Melanchthon's third use of the law um, as he, he progressed in his uh, Loci Communis, um, and the, by the way, the one I love is uh, the 1521 Loci, Loci Communis, but when he finished it and I got... That's Latin, by the way. That is Latin, and it, it, um, it's a really good book um, <laughs> when it's translated. Uh, but but when he finally finished it in, in what is it, 1556, and he finally put his stamp of approval on it, he had come to this idea which had been flushed out in the Lutheran theology of this third use of the law, where we're now freed by the gospel, um, God's ordinances now come back into our life as as things strengthened by the Lord we can engage with and walk in. Um, and do we do it perfectly? No, because we're still sinners, but we have the power to do this. So let's talk a little bit about some of these things that are 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 very very incestuous and and very very uh, horrible um, that were practiced by these cultures and still are today in in many cases. In fact, we've had to have English laws in the United States that go against them because they were still being practiced at the establishment of the United States. Yeah, I actually I did I wasn't looking forward to actually talking about it. Just well, the idea of of uh, well, I think you know, we do. God has His design 
for marriage and what marriage should be and what sex is is a beautiful thing for a man and woman. And here we've got all of these uh, distortions of that, of using it in family relationships or using it in, um, among animals, revealing to God's people, to us, um, the bestiality aspect isn't just about having sex with animals, but just the idea that the human nature is so evil that will corrupt God's wonderful gift and distort it in, and use it in in ways and it, 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 it builds it, it, it tries to sell it as this is a religious practices, but really it's just all about pleasure. Well, and I think I, I think one of the things you have we have to be very, very careful of <clears throat> and um, maybe we just say it and then we can move on. Um, what it's talking about here is not just intercourse. It is all sexual misconduct yeah. um, or misuse of, of, of the gift of God's body to the married union um, that we're talking about. So, it, so, I mean, it's, 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 you know, um, sneaking around and, and peeking when you shouldn't be peeking. Um, it is, it is, um, oh, well, we didn't have intercourse, you know, but whatever it is, it, it shouldn't be. There's a respect. What the Lord is really saying is there is a respect that should be established. There is a respect that needs to, to be there. And without that respect there, there's a problem. And, and, and that's, what's really going on. Yeah. The sinful nature is a beast. It is, it is always trying to distort us into thinking, well, it's not, it's not what, it's not actually breaking the sixth commandment because you're just looking at something or it's just not actually doing anything wrong because you're actually watching somebody else do, do it. Our, our sinful nature is so corrupt and it's such a beast that we uh, are reminded in Leviticus chapter 18, just how corrupt and bad it can get. Well, yeah. And, and the simple fact that even this talks about, um, you'd brought it up just looking at it, like the idea of pornography. Um, oh, I'm not related to them, but somebody is, and there's somebody's somebody, right? There's somebody, they're there. They are somebody's special someone. And now you've just transgressed that. And, and that's a problem mm-hmm. that, that becomes a problem to the Lord because you've, you've taken that gift and you have misused the gift um, in a horrible way, and you can't take that back. And I think that's the the point: is you are, you you hurt somebody to the point where no, you don't forget it, and you can't take it back. Um, it's hard to erase out it, of your mind. It's hard to erase out of your mind. Very good. Um, and <clears throat> and then you have um, this little uh, additional uh, the the um, like an addendum <laughs> that that starts in nineteen. Um, and, and again, this is, this is a direct result to the religious practices of the culture. Um, like we said, there are other bodily fluids that um, the pagan cultures deemed to have power and deemed to have purpose. Um, and you have this, this, um, this, this recommendation or not this command that, that no, you, you don't misuse this um, and you don't especially look for it as a power play and, and use it for religious practices and purposes. I don't know how much really we want to talk about it because it, it is kind of, um, I mean, it, it gets about as graphic as you can get in a, in without stepping over and saying, you know, here's the, here's the real. Um, but the Lord is really trying to say, these are these are these these are are horrible things to do not only for yourself but religiously um and so yeah 
Chapter 18. That, that's chapter 18. Go and read it if you'd like to, to have nightmares for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> because, and, and, and yeah. let's just say it like this. Let's just say it like this. There's a reason why McDonald's had to put hot on their coffee cups. Right? There's a reason why, because you know somebody somewhere <laughs> complained, oh, I didn't know it was, it was hot. You would think we live in a society where, hey, you know, people shouldn't be attracted to their 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 siblings. They shouldn't be attracted to their parents. They shouldn't be attracted to their aunts, uncles, and so on and so forth, or the horse out in the field. But if God has to say it, you know somebody, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's a problem. Our sinful nature went there. Yeah. Um, so now we get in 19 and I, and, and see your gospel section. I am the Lord 40, sometimes 40, 42 times, 42 times. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Yeah, um, this whole section, not just in chapter 18, but yeah, Go but ahead. my gospel section starts in chapter 19. It's my gospel too. Cause but, it's right there, but it's, but it's, it's being proclaimed to me. It's proclaimed to word. you, but you missed it. So now <laughs> I had to bring it. Not that I didn't miss I missed it. I just didn't mention it. Um, the gospel section that I thought is super, super neat. And, it is and, super neat. And we've actually used it, and it's it's mimicked in um, the Beatitudes by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and 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 it's, it's, so it's mimicked there, and so many people approach it and say, this is law. And, and yes, to the sinful nature, it can be. Um, but to the new man and whom the focus of this this conversation is given, which is to the this, to the people who've already been claimed by God, you have these wonderful words. Um, the Lord says, chapter two, verse nineteen: "You shall be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy." That is gospel, and and, and you're right. Well, no, that's law. You you have to be. No, no, he doesn't say you have to be. He says you shall be. That's passive. Yeah. That's a promise. Because God is holy, he has claimed you and made you holy. That is awesome. Now, to my sinful nature, when it wants to sin and it's far from holiness, that hurts because I'm supposed to be holy and I'm not. So, yes, I'm not saying that there isn't a, a, a tinge of law to my sinful nature, but to, to the regenerate man and to the one that God has created and signed me through the waters of baptism and his holy word, that is amazing. So when 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 the devil stands and accuses me and says, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, I can say, whoa, 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 whoa. I am holy because my Lord is holy. And he has made me holy and he has covered me with the blood of his son. And he has given me his body and blood for me to strengthen me in that holiness. You should all be standing right now and applauding because this is that's like the best. It is. I like it. It's good stuff. And because I said it. <laughs> Not because you said it. Content. <laughs> Content. <laughs> Not the person. <laughs> and and but you know, like I said this morning, it's one of those moments where you wake up in the morning and 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 <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you're really, and you as you look at yourself in the mirror, you say, "Thank God, I'm not like that guy," because <laughs> I'm holy, right? And the guy I'm looking at in the mirror may be far from holy, but but I can say in the mirror, "Thank God, I'm not like him." <laughs> Because in Christ I am holy, because my God is holy. Um, and, and the Lord will change that. Jesus will change this around, and he will mimic that words. But in, in Matthew 5, he will say, be perfect. Be perfect as the Lord your God is perfect. Right? Um, be this. It's passive. You do nothing. You're not engaged. You have no control over it. 
but but God speaks it to you and makes it happen. Be be these things. So that's my my uh, my little plug on holiness. So um, let's continue through nineteen because there's more great stuff in nineteen. But so. Uh, what do you have? I just have it. It mimics Exodus 20, doesn't it? It mimics the, the Ten Commandments, but it's got its own little take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, 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 yes. And and not just the Ten Commandments, but but in 10, you have vocation, right? Um, the uh, uh, Love of neighbor. Love of neighbor. Leave stuff out there for the poor. Leave stuff available for them to... And, and, and notice, I love how it says... Um, and this is, I just, I, maybe it's because my brain's been thinking about this lately and people who just, you know, want everything handed to them. What does the Lord say? Do not strip your vineyard clean. Do not pick the, the fallen grapes from your vineyard, but leave them for the poor and the alien who live with you. I am the Lord, your God. In other words, don't pick it and then give it to them. Leave it and let them work. How awesome is that? God's giving even them a purpose, Right. Yes, share. Yes, be be part of neighbor, but don't just give. You know, this goes back to what 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 will have in the New Testament, right? Uh, Paul will say, "If you don't work, you don't eat." He's not saying, "Oh, you work and and then and then we'll give you food." No, you work for food because that's what we all do. We work for food and and have an opportunity to do that too, because it's good. That's a, I, I just thought that was pretty neat. Uh, I I was liking the generosity aspect of it, which is a remi- reminder to uh, God's people to be generous. That not that uh, um, not just to think of yourself, but to think of others. Okay, that's and the other thing I was thinking of, I was going tracking what you were saying, and I agree with what you're saying. But then it was it's interesting to me when we go further in the Leviticus in the section where we're talking about the priests, where priests who are um, deformed that can't serve in the temple, they can't do the sacrifices. They were still provided for. Um, they still had a. They were still given jobs because they they said you can do this and you can do that, but you but can't you, do this. But you can't do this. Yeah. Uh, um, but just the idea of how God is is not just putting us in this world for ourselves and to take care of ourselves, but also for our neighbor. Well, and and that no matter who you are and what you do, there's a God has a place for you in His body. Right, that that you 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 perform a function for the body of Christ. Now there is a section in Leviticus 19 that I want to bring up, and I think we have have good opportunity to discuss this. We have 42 minutes on the clock, and and we can race through the rest of what we have to race through in, in the last couple of chapters. But I think this is a good section for us to talk about, and it comes down um, Leviticus 19 and starts at verse 19, and and uh, just that that one little section there. Um, you shall keep my regulations. You must not. S- you must not cause two different kinds of livestock to mate together. You must not sow your field with two kinds of seed, and you must not wear any clothing made with two kinds of material. So if you've looked at your tag on your shirt, you've broken that, <laughs> right? Um, if you, if, if uh, you know, most people have had a mule before um, in the olden days, they've broken that. Um I, I was I was going through because I, I struggled with it. I'm like, whoa, what is this one all about? It comes sort of comes out of the blue. And so I went and I and and as we do as good good studiers of the scriptures, we go and we, we try to find the answer if someone else has commented on it. And there's two places um where I had a comment on this and, and one of the and I wanna know where you fall. The the first one said this is literal. 
that that really the Lord is very literally saying, don't do this because uh, what for whatever reason they didn't really give the reason, but it said, but you don't do this because this is God's command to you to set you apart from someone else, from the from the nations around you. The other said, this is an imagery of saying, don't be unequally yoked. That 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 there is a, that there is a problem of 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 being unequally yoked in the world, and they don't work out well, and it doesn't blend like it should. What's your take on it? Um, I would t- I would tend towards uh, number one because just because we don't know why he I mean God puts it down there and tells them this is how you are to be separate among your among the nations around them and this is one way of doing that uh i don't to me to go further than that and to say well this this is a a meaning of unequally yoked you'd have to give me some bible passages that that refer back to this as a reason to be and i and like i said i couldn't because i was just reading the the commentaries it's yeah um sometimes uh uh looking at God's word and we think, well, this means that we have to make sure we're standing on solid footing on that. Otherwise it becomes allegory. Right. Right. And and I'm, I'm not opposed to saying that this is just like God is singling you out and saying, you know what? Other people are mixing these things because they think that they can make them stronger and better. And, and I'm letting you know, I am here and I will make these things good. Yeah, exactly. Um, chapter 20, uh, the one point that I have from chapter 20 is just the idea of, and we talked about this in Bible class when we talked about the sacrifices, where the sacrifices that God gave, like the, the sin offering or the guilt offering, were always for unintended sins. And so, and that reminded God's people, like, or and the people that are sitting in Bible class, they, were, they thought, well, this is like always when you intend to do these sins. And then as we looked at some of the sins, the sacrifices, you know, where you had to do this deal, sacrifice because you stole something and they said to themselves well when would you ever unintendedly steal something it seems like you'd always have to have an act of the will involved because but regardless of that the sacrifices in the old testament are for unintended sins and here in chapter 20 we have uh these sins that are mentioned are sins of an intentional nature and therefore there's a much more stronger penalty than just uh put an animal on the altar yeah, I um I made that comment between verses ten through twenty one. Um, sexual sin can be avoided, but is a tempting thing. Um, I just wrote that comment in because I think that's what you're saying is is so, these are not sins that you can't avoid. These are sins you can very much avoid, but they are very very tempting, and most people don't want to. Um, you know, they say you know, sex, guns, and rock and roll, right? <laughs> um, that was way back in the day. Um, but, but that sex sells, it does. It's all over, uh, all over the world because it, it does sell. Um, very, very tempting, very, very easy to convince yourself that it's okay. And that you're just doing what everyone else is doing. Um, and the Lord's saying, Nope, that's an intentional thing. And because it's intentional, there's a whole set of, of consequences that follow. And it has a very beautiful section that uh, something that we've said before, but in verse uh, twenty six, you are ho- you are you will be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have distinguished you from the other people, so that you belong 
to me. Yeah. What do you like about that? All of it. You like all of it? I like the section where the Lord says, you will be holy to me. Um, in the sense of how many times do you go throughout the day thinking of yourself not holy? Or that you don't belong. Or that you don't belong. Or that God wouldn't love me because look at this thing, I made a mistake and, and I, I did this or I did that. Um, and the Lord is saying beyond all of it, he makes this proclamation, you will be holy to me because I am who I am. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it has everything to do with me. Yeah, so if you haven't figured out by now that those those are some wonderful gospel nuggets in there that um, remind us that the power to keep what God is putting down in Leviticus comes from him who calls us out of this world to be his people, to be his holy, dedicated people to him. That's verse. That's chapter twenty for me. Yeah, twenty one deals with uh, um, you know the regulations for marriage uh, for priests, um, and and I think this was the the guidebook for the seminary for them judging whether or not a, a pastor to be would be able to marry somebody. <laughs> it, it and talk more about that because we were thinking about the. the one of the concepts we talked about in the very first podcast in Leviticus about the holiness getting closer and closer to holiness more and more is required. Yes. Um, and, and I think you have that here with these, with the priests. Um, you know, it, it, the Lord does not open the door and say, well, you can just love anybody you want to love. Um, the Lord is saying that because of, of who you are and the, and the re, and the, the obligations that were placed upon you, there is a call to your family as well. And, and it extends because of that closeness. It extends to that family unit. Um, and not necessarily extended to the family unit that they're required or, or asked to perform tasks. Um, you know, like sometimes when we get it into congregations, they call a pastor and they're like, oh, we get another called worker because he has a wife. No, that's not what's being said. What's being said is that the wife, though, of the, of, of the priest is, is is one that is above board it is it is one who is of the nation of israel one who is um um holy in her sexuality as much as in her her spirituality um because she is a practicing person of god's people um and I think there is something to be said about that. Not that, not that you know, marrying somebody who has been divorced before is wrong. I, I'm not saying that. There's a whole long conversation you can have on that one. What we're saying though is, the Lord is saying there are hurdles that are now there, um, that He did not want there, when it came to people coming to worship, and receiving the sacrament, um, and and you can see that right. You, you can see the question, and, and even in modern ministry now, when, when a pastor, if a pastor marries somebody who had been divorced before, there's a lot of questions. Or if there is a divorce in, in, from a pastor, there's, has he now made himself disqualified for the ministry? What went on? Why did it happen? Um, and how do God's people respond to it? And how do God's people respond to it? I think there's, there's those issues, and God says, I don't want those issues to be, to be the norm. The norm. I, I, although we do have a prophet who is called to do the exact opposite of what God is commanding here, but it's for the purpose of showing this is how you treat me. Yeah, he wasn't a priest though. He wasn't a priest that served us. Yeah, but I get what you're saying. Where the uh, God is is putting the norm there. Yes, there are exceptions to the norm, but there's a, a standard of of character. Not to say that 
a priest becomes a priest because of his character or a pastor becomes a pastor because of his character. He becomes a pastor, becomes a priest because he is called to do those things. And uh, more is, is expected of them, but not, but that isn't the same as saying that they are on a different level of spirituality or level of, of righteousness than everybody else. Like there's classes of Christians and that's not what's being said. It's just that there's more asked of them. There's more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's one of the things that, that I think we have failed in our society and, and even maybe in the church is that there is responsibility. Um, there is responsibility of the members who are the priesthood of all believers in, in how they are to interact with their church and interact with their pastor. There is a responsibility there. And, and we have, we have cast that aside. There is a responsibility for the way the pastor is to conduct his life and how he is supposed to serve in the church. And there's that pendulum, right? There's the pendulum that you see swinging back and forth in the pastorate. I know, uh, where sometimes a pastor will say, well, I need to spend more time with my family. And then all of a sudden it gets so heavily involved with his family. And then all of a sudden it looks like the ministry is neglected. And then there's sometimes where the pastor gets so into, into the ministry where the family gets neglected and, and, and there's a balance that should be struck. And the Lord is trying to guide this balance right he's trying to remove from the pastor who's going to be serving anything that might be an impediment to his ability to serve and his ability to conduct his family and and even to the point where he'll say if your child right ends up doing some gross voluntary sin this reflects on how you've handled your house um which will then come back to you know Paul's words to Timothy you know be a be manage your house right if you can't manage your, i mean isn't that what Paul was saying? Coming back to this and saying, this is about managing your house. Right. The Lord, uh, when he calls pastors, he has an, a unique aspect to each one of the calls is that the, the the call is to be a family man, to be watching over your family. So if your pastor, uh, gone are the days when a pastor does completely neglects his family for the cause of his ministry. So if you are a member of a congregation, I encourage your pastor to take care of his family on the same point like you were saying sometimes there's a, an imbalance there where he spends too much time with his family i think i think there just has to be an open conversation between the leadership of the congregation and their pastor and the elders and their pastor so it, it would be a good thing for congregations my encouragement not a law but encouragement for your elders to sit down with your pastor or your council sit down with your pastor how are things going and give that pastor feedback on on how things are going, and, and have an, him an opportunity to respond, because for, as a pastor, we are we are initiation machines. We are always initiating everything, and uh, as as a as a as, as in in that case, we need some feedback. We need some feedback from our council, our congregation, saying, "Pastor, you're working not enough," or "Pastor, you're working yourself too hard." That those conversations need to be had. So that God's people would ultimately be served best by the represent that by by the servant that God has has put in their midst. Yeah, and, and it's an open conversation, not one of of accusing, but one of of hopefully done in love. Um, and, but that's my my take on twenty one. My take on twenty one is is just God is intending to to try to alleviate any hurdles that would be an impediment in in the service of of. Um, the worship and the and the service of God's people to other God uh, uh, to God's kingdom, 
And I think that's that's where we have that. Uh, 22, our last chapter in the next five minutes, um, all deals with, with the eating of holy foods and, and the keeping of God's name um, and uh, coming back to the idea of acceptable offerings. I, I think, again, um, I'm drawn to... Um, I'm really drawn to the end of the chapter where in, in, in verse 32, verse 33, you have what I consider the gospel note. Um, Therefore, you shall not defile my holy name so that I may be honored as holy among the Israelites. I am the Lord. There you go again. Who sets you apart as holy, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. That's the gospel note, right? Um, They're not doing these things to give God anything. They're doing these things in response because God did everything. And, and I mean, I, so God says, make, don't make light of this meal. Don't make light of the offerings. Don't make light of, of the, the things that I'm asking of you. Not because you are providing for me, not because I need you to do them, but because they're for your benefit and I have made you holy and equipped you to do them. And I have given you the opportunity to do them. And if you don't do them and everyone else looks around and they're looking at you like, (laughs) oh man, they messed that one up. It reflects on the Lord, right? Um, Marching towards common, towards away from the Lord, towards judgment. Yeah. Yeah. You're marching further away from the altar, further away from the cross, and you you become less holy and more common and then eventually from common to unclean. Um, and, and the Lord wants you to be, and has made you to be extraordinary. I think that's the, 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 the pinnacle of it. Uh, the Lord has, and maybe our listeners needed to hear that today. Maybe, maybe our listeners needed to hear, um, that the Lord has made you to be extraordinary. He's made you holy. Yeah. Despite the things that you have done in the past, despite, I mean, this is the, some of the things that we talked about today are things that conflict you in your conscience. Remind yourself your God has called you out of this, called you to be his own. It has covered you with the blood of Jesus Christ, has taken away your sin, and now you live uh, freely as uh, his child. 